Well, good day to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you. We're walking through uh, the Word of God with the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, we've been doing that for about 18 years, <laughs> is what it feels like, but it's been great. Um, we've got two more chapters, 15 and 16. I'm going to be preaching the next three weeks just on chapter 15. Just so you know, three weeks, chapter 15. It's an amazing text, amazing passage for us. Um, and I think it's probably one of the most needed passages that we have today. So that should automatically perk your ears up a little bit. There's a scholar out there, theologian. His last name's Edwards. I forget his first name, but Edwards here. It's just not for me, but he was, it was intriguing to me because he was describing crucifixion. So I want to read this to you, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit in terms of the scriptures. This is about crucifixion from the Romans. <clears throat> the victim's back was first torn open by scourging, and the clotting blood was ripped open again when the clothes were torn off of the victim. Then, as he hung on the cross, with each breath, the painful wounds on the back scraped against the rough wood of the upright beam and were further aggravated. When the nail was driven through the wrist, it severed the large median nerve, and this stimulated nerve produced excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms, resulted in a claw-like grip in the victim's hands. Beyond the excruciating pain, the major effect of crucifixion was inhibiting normal breathing. The weight of the body pulling down on the arms and shoulders tended to fix the respiratory muscles in, in a state of hindered breath. To get a good breath, one had to push against the feet and to flex the elbows, pulling from the shoulders. Putting the weight of the body on the feet produced searing pain. Each effort to get a proper breath was agonizing, exhausting, and led to a quicker death. Insects would light upon or bury into the open wounds or the eyes or the ears or the nose to the dying and the helpless victim. Birds of prey would often come and tear at their flesh. If the victim did not die quickly enough, the legs were broken and the victim unable to breathe. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is everything for the Christian. Entering the tomb can happen. But the resurrection of Jesus is something that is only in the power of the Almighty God. The resurrection of Jesus is everything for the Christian. That's why there's enemies of Christianity. And that's something that you need to understand, you need to know. That's something that is, something, it is so crucial for us. Why? Because people have no problem with the crucified Christ. They have a problem with the resurrected Christ. And so when we start to understand this, I pray that you have ears to hear and a heart open today, a mind open today to ask some pretty hard and difficult questions. Because again, getting put into the tomb was far easier than leaving it. 
And there's something out there, it's called uh, Protestant liberalism. Protestant is believers, basically, okay? It's a simple way of thinking about it. Protestant is believers. But there's a far swing. And what they're trying to do is this. They're trying to remove the value of the resurrection. And so they're even changing sometimes. Textbooks that I had in the 90s have been altered. Well, we didn't like that. Literally, we didn't like that, so we changed it. They're trying to remove the crucifixion completely from the history books. Why? Because, again, the problem isn't a crucified Jesus. It's a resurrected Jesus. I mean, listen, I've, I've lost loved ones. I'm sure that many of you have lost loved ones. And losing a loved one is hard and is difficult and it's tough. But when the loved one that you lose, the, the, the one that you lose and, and they get buried and they're there, uh, that's one thing. But when that one it leaves the tomb and now there's a resurrection, that's a totally different ball game. And that's the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus and what he did for us in our life. Why do they want to remove the value of the resurrection? Because if you can make faith about simply being good and not about submission to a Christ, to, a, to an almighty, then you can do whatever you want to. Even though scripture also says that no one is good, no, not even one. We already know that. You can't earn it. You're not going to deserve it no matter what you do. But if you can remove the resurrection, that means you don't have to submit to a power that you can obviously see is greater than your own self-desire. So the resurrection, we say it all the time. We know that the resurrection changes absolutely everything. Everybody say everything. Not a little bit, not here and there. It demands everything even from your life because of the overwhelming grace that it injects into your life. And so this is what we get to talk about today. First, first Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11. We're going to begin with the first four verses. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? If you're new here, I'd like to say welcome to Chapel Point, but more importantly, I'd like to say welcome to worship of the King. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, if I stop reading, you say the next word. That's how it goes, so I'm trying to help out the new people. Um, now I would remind you, now Paul is writing this from Ephesus to Corinth, likely his second letter, even though it says 1 Corinthians. He's writing this to people who did not grow up in faith. Hey, these aren't Jewish people. These are new believers, Gentiles, we would say. These are new believers professing faith in Christ. They're doing the best they can because Corinth is a place that is really, it's very, um, it was an important city. It was the bridge between two different um, seas and they, they would come as a trade route, a lot of wealth, but the sexual immorality was enormous at the time. And people were constantly fighting against the, the, the desires of the flesh. I, I think Galatians chapter 5 often when I think of Corinth and what's taking place. So he's writing them and he's reminding them. I remind you brothers of the gospel I preach to you, which you and which you and by which you are being if you hold fast to the word I preach to you right? Unless I, that was my fault. It's my fault. Unless you believed in what? Now, that's going to... Everybody say, A-K. Get a little bit of... A-K. I like you're from Minnesota. No, um, whatever it is. Like a little bit of that. That's Greek for vain. We're going to get into that in a little bit. E-I-K-E. A-K is how it's pronounced. 
That's important because it's mentioned multiple times. Unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So here comes Paul. This is going to be done really in three sections here, the first 11 verses. First thing he says is he steps in and he says, I need to remind you. I need to remind you of the power of the resurrection. I need to remind you of the gospel. He says gospel, good news. Now, that's all that gospel means is good news. So we will say the good news of Jesus Christ because otherwise it's just good news. What's the good news? The good news is Jesus Christ defeated death. So he is delivering this good news, the good news that is found from the punishment that we deserve, but what Christ took from us. The gospel is to be believed. It is to be embraced. He says, I preached it to you, which you received and which you stand. Some of you have received the gospel and you are standing in the gospel. And he's, he's giving them a pat on the back. He's like, good job. You, come on. It's the gospel which you have received and now you're living it out. You're standing firmly in it. Way to go. You're holding fast. He uses that language here as well. And he's telling them, this is good. You got it. But then he steps in and he says, by which you are saved, if you're saved, if everybody say if. You hold fast to the word I preached. If you hold fast to the word that I preached, unless you believed in AK. AK. That's the word vain. E-I-K-E. That's the spelling. Somebody asks you how many languages you know, you say two right away. English and Greek. You know at least one word. This is significant. I'm reminding you, brothers, the gospel of Jesus I preached. You received it. Many of you stand in it. You know that's by which you are saved because you're holding fast to it. Unless you believed in vain. What it means to, to have a faith that is in vain is this. It's something that has become a practice rather than a life lived. So some of you, this is really important. Really, really important. Some of us, what you need to know, what does it mean to have a faith that has lived in vain? It means that you're living according to a practice rather than a life to be lived that has been altered, that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you have submitted to his authority. Because people know that the resurrection demands a submission to. How can you say that somebody did this and then just say, oh, that's kind of cool. That is beyond kind of cool. Kind of cool is me going and having some good fish for lunch. That's kind of cool. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he's telling them, like, what are you doing here? Hey, make sure you don't believe in vain. And one of the things I have to challenge you with right now is this very thing. Is your faith in vain? I mean, part of a faith is coming together to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of faith is before a prayer, uh, before a mealtime, you say a prayer and you're like, hey, God, thank you so much for your food and uh, for the food that you've given. Bless it to the nourishment of my body. Amen. Right? This, that, that's part of it. But that, if that's all your faith is, that's a practice to be had. It's not a life that is lived. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong. 
I mean, the joke in my house, like, if we don't pray before a mealtime, they're all dead. You know that God's going to turn that to poison now. I mean, it's a joke, but it's like, come on. No, no, that, that's a practice. We want to live a, a life that is impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not an add-on to our life. He is life. We've got to get this. So it's got to be believed. It's got to be embraced. Otherwise, man, if it's not fully embraced, you're just living in vain. The gospel's in vain. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, I also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive, there's the word again. It's the same word that he's talking about here when it says, which you received, in verse 1, same word. Which you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You welcomed it. Not as just the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So you received, and now you stand on it. You believe it. You hold fast to it. It's a word that we often find in Hebrews, hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. Every time I go to, some of you already know, every time I, if I go to Mexico or something like that with my kids, they always want me to get a tattoo, so I always get the temporary one that wipes off. It's always hold fast, hold fast. If I ever got a real one, that's what it would say, but I don't have permission from the bride, amen? I say, what do you think about my decision to get a tattoo? She goes, it's a decision. I just walk away. Yes, ma'am. I'm not kidding. So the gospel hadn't changed. But the thing is, he's saying, don't believe, don't, the word uh, AK, it means to be without cause or success. So you're, believe, you're claiming something without cause, without, a, without success. It doesn't really matter. Wouldn't that stink? To wake up early every Sunday for your entire life and then to take 20 seconds before every meal for your entire life and at the end of it, you, you meet God and he goes, that was worthless. I was in vain. He says, I delivered to you as a first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This is one of the reasons they're trying to change parts of what has been written in history. It's because they know that the evidence is there for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And honestly, for the person who wants to claim no God so they can do anything they want, that ticks them off. Even the word of God, and I've preached this message before. Maybe we need to find it and post it so that everybody it just walks through all the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the beginning of the word of God all the way through. It all ties together perfectly. Even Isaiah 53, I'll get to that in a little bit and other passages. And we just go, wow. Everybody say, wow. That's what it does. Like It makes you go, what? Well, it's, it's astonishing. And so they're trying to remove all of those different things from it. But without belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, your faith is vain. It's of no success, no cause. And so you hold fast to it. It means you trust fully in the Lord. One of the Proverbs I love. I love Proverbs chapter 3. Everybody does. I love all the Proverbs. Everybody makes fun of me. You say you love every book. It's the Bible. Lay off, right? Proverbs chapter 3, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your Lean not on your own but in all your ways acknowledge, and he will make straight your, right there, straight as an arrow. 
That's what he does. But friends, what you have to understand that, is that he says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. I was talking about this with the elders a couple of weeks ago. I was walking through a Devo with them and just talking about this passage. Partial trust is failure to trust. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Now, notice the difference here. But we still need to trust in the Lord. It says with all your heart. Isn't that full of trust? It doesn't say trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord just when it's convenient. Trust in the Lord when there's just enough time to do it. No, no. And again, we're still going to make mistakes, but because of God's grace, we're good. Don't worry. It's all right. And so the people in Corinth, they're fighting to stay in the gospel regardless of all their struggles and are trying to hold fast, not to live in vain and to trust fully in the Lord. Why? Because they recognize that the death of Jesus is salvation for all those who believe, Romans 10, 9. And the sin of the world required a sacrifice. And we have to recognize the depth of what Christ did while preaching Christ crucified, 1 Corinthians 1, 23. Go back to February, listen to that message. Christ crucified. And at some point before Jesus Christ died and before the veil was torn in two, and if you were here at Easter, we even demonstrated that here on this very stage. Um, we showed you that there is a temple there uh, uh, with a curtain, and in that very thing, that curtain represented a separation from the people, not being able to go beyond that into the presence of God. But yet when Jesus was born, it says the veil of the, 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 the curtain there was torn in two. Why? Because it said that separation between you and God is no more because of what Jesus Christ chose to do on your behalf. There is now no more separation between you and the Almighty God for all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. That's called a amazing, right? Isn't that good? And so before he cried out one of the seven last words, it is finished. Before he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He bore all of our wrath and our sin. And friends, hear me say, I think there's this misnomer, this misunderstanding, this misthinking in the world today that the church is just full of people who kind of think they have it all together and, and they just judge the world around them that doesn't go to church. No, no, no. The church is to be full of people who know how messed up they are, know how broken they are, but we found a savior and his name is Jesus. Because we know that God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't. Some of you are going, no, no, you don't know. I, there's so many of us. Anybody made a mistake or sinned in their life? Raise your hand. Right? Some of you have, a, um, man, addiction. There's lots of addictions. Like it can be alcohol. It can be eating, right? It can be pornography. Anybody ever struggle with any type of vice? It's another, it's an easy, vice is a more pleasant way to say addiction. Anybody ever had a vice in their life? Raise your hand. We're all in it. It's okay. Everybody say, but I've got grace. Hmm. Take that thing, right? Like, let's just acknowledge it. He's telling them, like, don't you understand what the power of the resurrection actually means? 
So he took the wrath of God for us, and there had to be a payment. The power of the resurrection means salvation. Jesus' death was confirmed. I'll give you some passages. Scribble down real quick. If you can learn today's message where you learn how to speak it in your own manner, man, God will use that in so many cool ways. John 19, 31 through 37, Jesus' death was confirmed at the cross. Jesus bore the full wrath of God on the cross, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is very clear about that. But yet he himself did not become a sinner. It was an act of holiness that he was able to do such a thing. The plan for his death was Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 says the following. It says, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with and, with and by his wounds, we are healed. And so he's talking about here, he tells them, so clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen, don't you know what all this really means? It's of first importance that we receive Christ. Remember that he was buried, but that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And now what he starts to do is he starts to tell them about all the witnesses to this very thing. This is what it says. Verse five and following, he says, and that he... That being Jesus here, okay, appeared to who? Cephas. Cephas is also whom? Peter. That's an amazing story. I want to preach that right now. It's the life of Peter. Three o'clock today. Let's go. Come on back. And then so he appears to Cephas. Then he appears to the 12. Here's here. You're going to underline this. You're going to underline Cephas. So he appeared to Cephas. Then he appeared to the 12. Then to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, he says at that moment. Though some have fallen asleep or gone to be with the Lord. And he says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. There's more people he appeared to. Last of all, as the one, this is verse eight, last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. There's the word again, AK. Everybody say AK. Wasn't in vain. If he would have done nothing with it except practices, some habits that might have been formed, it would have been done in vain. It would have been useless. Remember, that's the root of the word. It would have been without cause. For no good reason. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So here's what ends up happening. He's like, here's, here's some proof for you. There you get there's Cephas or Peter. Um, I'll give you some passages to go with each one of these. I'm going to go through this part very quick. He's like, here's a resurrection. You better remember it. Otherwise, your life is being lived in vain. If it's just a practice to be had and not a life to be lived, it's worthless. It's in vain, useless, without cause. Don't you remember? I, I appeared to Cephas. Here's Peter. And I appeared to him. It tells us that Luke chapter 24, verse 34. The very thing. So he made an appearance. And then he says to the 12. This is Mark 16, Luke 24, John chapter 20. This is where, Je remember where Jesus is. It's like the closed room. Windows are closed and the doors are shut. 
and all the followers are together and all of a sudden Jesus just shows up and they're like, what? Like that would make you do that too, right? It's kind of like driving down the highway, 80 miles an hour. I mean, 70 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And you're going 70 miles an hour and all of a sudden you're there with your wife or your friend, whatever it is. And all of a sudden somebody just shows up in the backseat. You're like, okay, okay. He just shows up and he appears to the 12. And then it says 500 brethren. Now, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1 tells us that at the time of his death with the crucifixion, there's 120 believers, but obviously they kept coming out of the woodworks and they kept coming. He says he appeared to 500 at some point. I think that's being suggested in uh, Matthew chapter 28. That's what that's really referencing. So he appears to all of them. It says he appears to James, the brother of Jesus. James was used in enormous ways in the book of Acts. We see that after his ascension, Acts chapter 1, right? After his ascension, he was used in significant ways for the, the church. And he says, also by me. Now, I want to camp out a little bit here because he, he spent more time on himself. He says, last of all, this is verse 8, last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't without cause. It wasn't without success. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is such an important passage. You've got to remember, Paul felt undeserving of what he was able to do for the Lord. I resonate a lot with Paul. So you need to know, I, this is a passage that has um, really shaped a lot of my life. Um, I would be a, what some people would consider to be a workaholic. The elders in this church, I'm looking at a few of them that are out here now. They tell me all the time, Joel, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of your family, your kids. Don't let them resent the church. They give me the, I get this about once every three weeks. When I know they're going to do that, that's when I call in sick. I don't want to hear it anymore. But hear me very, very clearly. It's not necessarily that I'm trying to prove myself or earn anything. We know not, not one is good, no, not even one. It's the word of God. But when you are as bewildered as I am by what Jesus Christ has done in my brokenness, you live different. I mean, here's Paul. He was the greatest opponent of the church. I think he struggled. Like, he knew us by grace that he was saved, but Paul's just a guy, right? God used him. He's just a guy, but remember, I mean, I would have been replaying some stuff too. He was the guy going around arresting every believer, making sure that they were thrown into prison. It was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 that he came to recognize who Jesus Christ really was, and he was blinded, and he got up. And he didn't go, you know what, I'm going to take a few years of Bible study on Tuesday nights as long as it's convenient for me, and then give myself to Christ. No, he was radically changed by the transforming power of the Messiah. I'm so fed up with churches that say, oh, we'll give you a 10-year process. No, how about this? Encounter Jesus, live for Jesus. 
But we've done it as the church because then we're going to judge if, well, do they really have the right knowledge? If you have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you're good to go. It doesn't mean that we don't want to know the Word of God. The knowledge of the Word of God is what allows us to live as transformed followers of Jesus. And I get that, but I'm going, man, I think Paul was wrestling with this. He's like, I know I am unworthy. I was the greatest persecutor of the believer, and now I, by grace, get to work for him. So I worked harder than any of them by the grace of God that is within me. So now a man who is full of hate is full of grace. Full of grace. Grace changed Paul. Has it really changed you? can't receive the grace of God without being changed by it. We too have been responsible, friends, of wrongdoing. But now there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. That was a great prayer. I'm going to ask, I think she's here. Uh, Ashley is one of my kids. Ashley, are you back there? Did you stay? Please say yes. There she is. Everybody say, hey, Ashley. This is my favorite child. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I have several, and, but she's remarkable. This is my 14-year-old going on, what, 33. That's what it feels like. So there's a parable from 1100 AD. I'm to tell that story to you. Um, <clears throat> parable goes like this. There's a king over in Europe. The king was very just, righteous. And... He, was, he cared for his people deeply. And he wanted to make sure nobody ever went without food, and he cared. So they were, they were known, you know, it was done differently in 1100 AD. And so people would come and come before the king, and he would provide for them and say, hey, here's food. So he always provided food for everybody. Um, but there were rules, like there are certain things that you had to do, right? Don't give me that look. It's like I can't even look at it right now. Um, so he would care for the people, but then all of a sudden what happened was uh, they found out somebody was stealing from the treasury. And there was a rule, you can't do this. So he met with all the people, and that's what they had to do. But then the king would come before all the people and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. You know I'm a fair uh, king, and I, I'm a, I try to be a caring king. I want to provide for you when you have nothing, but you can't steal. You can't do it. So we have to catch whoever it is. We're going to give him 10 lashes. Couldn't find him. Comes back, been stolen from again. Comes before the people. It's going to be 20 lashes. Happens again. It's going to be 40 lashes. Now, back then, you didn't really live. Like, after about 20 lashes, it would be a really bad thing. Like, you could live, but maybe, I mean, the blood and everything else. You know, this story, it's an amazing story. And uh, so finally, it came to the king. The king's like, he was ecstatic because, like, we found him. He's like, yes, good. But ironically, it was the king's mother. He's like, you have everything. I will do anything for you. Why would you do this? Why would you do this? And the people are coming like, you don't, that's your mom. We get it. You don't have to do anything. And he's like, no, there has to be a consequence. If there's not a consequence, what does that lead to? There has to be a consequence. So he put his mother out there to be beaten 40 lashes. 
And right before the person, he doesn't want to do it. Right before he's about to whip her, he goes, stop. And he takes off his robe. And he does this. And he says, go. And he takes every one of the lashes. what Christ has done for you. I, I got it. I got it. Don't you get it? Like, my greatest concern for where we are is that we are living a faith in vain. It's just a practice. It's a habit. And so now, as I said a while ago, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, so there is now no condemnation for those who believe in the name of Jesus. It was grace, not work, that made Paul what he was. Not I, not I, but by what? By what? Grace. And if Paul wouldn't have worked as hard as he would have worked, and I'll tell you the same thing, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Paul, but at the same time I'm going, I'll tell you right now, I cannot work as hard as I work, but it's the grace of God, it will still be given to me. I will still be forever with the King of Kings, worshiping, bowing before him, celebrating and declaring, praising the name of Jesus. Grace is given freely, but what we do with it shows how effective the, grace of, the gift of grace is in our life. Though. And the more you understand what Jesus has done, friends, you weren't saved from a whoopsie-daisy. You see, we've lessened sin so much that we just think, oh, big deal. You were saved from something that is worthy of damnation. It's the gospel. It's the good news. The resurrection is real. Grace creates movement. Grace creates movement. When you receive the grace of God, it creates a movement in your life. Grace, salvation, and if consumed by the people of God, leads to hope in broken families. Friends, just the people watching right now, just the people in this room, the gym upstairs, 
Byron Center, wherever it is, just the people represented in this hour, much less all the other hours of worship, just the people represented in this place now, if we were consumed and didn't live a life that was full, that, a life of faith that was vain, if we lived one that truly was captivated by the grace of God, let me tell you some things that begin to change in West Michigan. School boards overwhelmed by the gospel. Businesses using all their resources to further the kingdom of God. Families restored, marriages renewed, prodigal child coming home. So here's the question I have for you is what does the resurrection of Jesus? Because he's saying, here's the resurrection of Jesus. I'm reminding you of it. Don't forget it. Otherwise, you're just living in it in vain. If it's just a practice, here's all the witnesses to it. Isn't this cool? You've got all these different witnesses that have seen it. Peter, I appeared, Jesus appeared to Peter and the 12 and 500 brethren at once and to James. He appeared to me. He's saying, I'm, there's proof of it. It's right here. It's amazing. And now you better do something with it. What does the resurrection of Jesus force you to change that has been previously off limits? I'll give you some, and that's the post-it. Now there's a post-it note there. Everybody get your post-it note out. And we're going to ask that you write down. Don't write, if you want to write your name, you can, but don't, you don't really need to write your name. Just write down one thing that has been previously off limits to Jesus. Because you haven't fully understood the power of the resurrection. And we're going to ask that when you leave the service, you're going to go and put it on one of the, the windows in the church. Just go and put it. I'll give you some examples. Finances would be one, money. I would say time. We love our time, don't we? This is how I get to use my time. And lately, I just, um, I, I need to be more captive by, captivated by the crucifixion. I, I've, can, I didn't confess this to any service. I want to confess something to you because um, if I confess something to you, you will not judge me. Amen. I started watching a show on Netflix. I've never been a binge watcher. My, I started watching a show, I keep watching. I found the reason I'm doing this is because I've been depressed. I spent two hours on my only day off that I've had in three weeks and watched a stupid show. It's because I'm depressed. My wife knows when I'm up. She's like, honey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. Give me something to eat. She's like, oh, oh, honey. But I've been depressed. We all go through those, those seasons. That doesn't, it doesn't make me any less of a person. It just lets me know how much I need the grace of God. For some of you, baptisms have been off limits. Friends, let me tell you now. People ask, how do you know you're a believer? And they're like, oh, I grew up in a Christian home. Growing up in a Christian home don't make you saved. But I will say this. If you grew up in a Christian home and you were taught the word of God and you still choose to step away and live your own life, that's just sad. 
You've been given every opportunity. What saves you is declaration, your own heart going, I submit to the full authority of Jesus Christ. Nobody can give that to you. It is except for Jesus himself. And so you have to personally claim it. Some of you at baptism has been off limits. Money, addiction, your time. So this is what I want us to do. The second, I just want us to pray. We're gonna have a moment of silence. Some of you, that's going to be hard. You're going to be like, what? I don't know how to be quiet that long. 60 seconds. I'm going to time it. If you get a twitch from 60 seconds, we got big issues. And I want you to pray to release the very thing that you need to release so that you can be fully captivated by the grace of an almighty king. And then afterwards, we're going to sing and worship together and I'm going to ask that you stick around. I know sometimes when I stop preaching, people leave, and a lot of you are going to leave to go serve, but I've already told them. We'll finish when we finish. They already know. Like, seriously, like, they're ready on the strike. Whatever we got to do, they're good. Don't worry about them. People can wait. They really can. Like, we don't have to be like, I told somebody recently, like, hey, I want to be baptized. I'm like, let's go get baptized. Like, I can't right now. I need to get organized. Oh, my gosh. It's okay. So I want to just have a moment of silence. And I want us to pray. And then we're going to sing a song. And you're going to have an opportunity. Some of you need to be baptized. We have people to start coming down at last service. And you can come up here. You can come to, I just come up to the corner. There's people who will be there. They'll take you around. And we're going, to, then we're going to sing another song. We're going to baptize. After that, we're going to sing another song, then another song. Then we're going to eat lunch and keep singing. The next service is never going to happen. It's okay. I'd rather eat cold mashed potatoes than to miss out on the worship of a king. Let's pray together. God, for these friends, these brothers and sisters, captivate their heart. There are some in this place, they've never truly, they've believed in vain. They've never truly surrendered their life. Encourage them now. Give them the courage to surrender to you. Give them the courage to surrender to you. Some of them have kept certain things off limits, God. Maybe it's an addiction or time or resources, God. Let them put everything on the table and say, Heavenly Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Overwhelm. 
because we know that we don't have to live in captivity to the world desires anymore, our own desires. We don't have to live in captivity anymore of just every day waking up and feeling like we have to look a certain way. We have to be a certain way. Otherwise, we're not successful, God. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. Called to be faithful. Called to be faithful. Called to be faithful. God, may we be faithful. Give us freedom in the name of Jesus. Shower these friends with your blessing. Protect them from the evil one. Put a hedge of protection around their home. May they know what it is declare, to declare the victory of Jesus Christ at all times and all things. Because while the world says they're not good enough, we know that we are already children of God, sons and daughters of a king. Praise be to you. sing together and then as we sing this song if you want to be baptized we want to invite you to come forward and I want to, we will we'll sing another song after that and we'll just see where things go and uh, we'll let other people deal with the parking amen let's worship the king oh but God